You are listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week one of the study in His Image. Today's teaching is entitled, God Most Holy. I'm going to get us started. And I also want to just say a welcome to, we have several ladies that are joining us virtually. So um, I just want to say a welcome to them. And I hope that you ladies also feel like a part of our class and are blessed by this study. For this first week, we looked at holiness, and I hope you were able to read Jen's chapter and answer the questions. And I apologize, because I think some of you didn't have books yet. Um, So I'm sorry about that situation that you weren't able to maybe feel completely prepared coming into this week. But the chapters go pretty quickly, so hopefully for next week, you'll be able to catch up on that first chapter and the introduction. Make sure you read the introduction also, as that has some very valuable insights in there. But um, uh, first, let me pray for us. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, you alone are holy, Father God. We praise you for that. We worship you. We love you. And now, Lord, for these next few moments, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our ears, remove all the distractions, hide me and reveal yourself. Speak through me, speak in spite of me. Father God, we give you all honor and glory and love. Thank you for first loving us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. That's like my little startup music. (laughs) So before we dive into holiness, I want to address why it is so critical to have a truth-informed accurate biblical understanding of who God is and his attributes. A.W. Tozer, whom I will reference often um, in this study because he wrote classic books on the attributes of God, stated that Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending on her concept of God. How we view God hugely impacts how we view ourselves as well as our worldview. And neither of those will be appropriate if we do not know God rightly based on scripture alone and not on our upbringing, our misconceptions, or even on what we want God to be. This is why each week we will spend the first half of the teaching time looking at how God displays that specific trait before we consider how we should. Psalm 34.3 states, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. We cannot magnify God in that we cannot make him any better. He is and always will be infinitely perfect in every way. But we can magnify our view, our understanding of him as we truly consider how he perfectly exemplifies each of these attributes. God doesn't merely possess these qualities, rather it is who he is, through and through, at all times. God does not have holiness, God is holiness. And as his disciples, we strive to be like God, not to earn his favor, but out of love for him and the deep desire to obey him. I do not want to be holy in order that God might love me. 
I want to be holy because of God's love for me, which I already have in full. That's critical to keep in mind as we study all of these attributes. We are not striving in our sanctification in order for God to accept us or to earn our salvation. We have his acceptance. We have our salvation because of Jesus Christ. It is from the position of already being loved and accepted that we seek to obey him more fully, bringing glory to his name. So what does holiness mean? We know it is God's will for our lives. And as Jen pointed out in her chapter, there are hundreds of verses about God's holiness and hundreds about sanctification, the process of becoming holy. We already have positional holiness upon salvation, meaning we are seen as righteous in God's eyes because of and only because of the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on our behalf to remove the penalty of our sin and then his resurrection conquering death. But in this study, we're going to focus on our practical or progressive holiness, the command to be holy as he is holy. Some definitions of holy I found are dedicated or consecrated to God or a religious purpose, sacred, set apart, morally and spiritually excellent, purity. Merriam-Webster defined it as exalted or worthy of complete devotion, as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Noah Webster, back in the early 1800s, defined it as whole, W-H-O-L-E, entire or perfect in a moral sense, free from sin and sinful affections. And it's not only outward conduct, but it's also a purity of the heart. The common Hebrew word for holy in the Old Testament is kadash, Q-A-D-A-S-H, sacred, consecrated, set apart for special purpose. And for those of you who did the Exodus study, that should sound very familiar, saved from, saved for. The Greek word in the New Testament is hagios, sacred, morally blameless, or religious. It literally means an awe full thing, as in A-W-E hyphen full. If we want to know what it means to be holy, to live out holiness in the day-to-day, then we must first look at the source of holiness, the ultimate example. Leviticus in the Old Testament and 1 Peter in the New Testament both tell us to be holy as he is holy. And as with all of God's attributes, he is perfectly eternally, infinitely holy. There are no degrees to his holiness. There are no acts he carries out that are more holy than others. He was every bit as holy when he sent the rains to flood the earth as he was when he parted the Red Sea to rescue his people from slavery. It's easy to believe that in theory, but perhaps more difficult in the practical day-to-day. Do you believe that God is every bit as holy when trials come your way as you do when blessings do? And we're actually going to look at that more in depth in a few weeks when we study God's goodness. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
Another translation says is understanding. So let's increase our understanding and magnify our knowledge of the Holy One by seeing what the Bible has to say about God's holiness. Revelation 15.4 tells us, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Clearly, God and God alone is holy. And that is why he and he alone is worthy of all worship. That is why he can command us to have no other gods before him. And yes, we believe this and we know this in theory. In practice, it's somewhat harder to not place any little G gods above him. Our family, our ministries, our time, our agenda. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Not only is he the only holy one, but he himself is only holy. No darkness, nothing but light and purity. Psalm 34 exhorts us to sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. Even his name is holy. His holiness is manifested in his name. And our response to that holiness is to praise and thank him. Which means, therefore, that as we've established, if he truly is always holy, and our response to that holiness should be gratitude, then at all times we should be thankful to him. Again, another example of we know it in theory, but it's sometimes hard to practice out through the struggles of life. Psalm 145.17 instructs us, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Not only is his character always holy, but everything he does is also. What I said earlier, he is every bit as holy in his acts of wrath and discipline as he is in his acts of generosity and kindness and mercy. He can never do, nor has he ever done, anything that is less than 100% holy. We need to remind ourselves of that when we question why something difficult is happening to us or why something good is not. In Romans seven twelve, Paul clearly states, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So God is always holy. Everything God does is always holy. And here we see that all that God commands of us is holy. If we were to remember that, we may find obedience to come more easily. God's holiness is manifested in his law. How should we view his holiness? Does God want it to cause terror and dread in us? Does he want it to resent it or maybe even secretly wish it wasn't quite so infinite and extreme? Psalm 96.9 tells us to worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, we tremble in reverence and awe, but we also see the splendor, the glory, the beauty of his holiness. 
Psalm 29.2, very similar type verse, says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And again, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. It should compel us to worship when we think of his holiness. First Chronicles 16.29, again, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. And what offering does he want more than any other? He wants us. He wants our heart. He wants our life. Stephen Charnock, who was an English Puritan Presbyterian pastor way back in the 1600s, wrote that what gave the splendor and beauty to the Lord's holiness is how it impacts all of his other attributes. His justice is a pure, holy justice. His wisdom is a perfect, holy wisdom. His power is a righteous, holy power. And that is where we find our comfort. That is why we praise and thank him for his holiness because it allows us to trust all of his other qualities as being, well, as being holy, morally and spiritually excellent. In Exodus 3, a story you're probably familiar with, Moses and the burning bush, God instructs Moses to remove his sandals because the place where he is standing was holy ground. And what made it holy was God's presence. Psalm 11.4 states that the Lord is in his holy temple. Why is his dwelling place holy? Because of God's presence. God's holiness was also manifested at the cross when he had to turn his back on his perfect son while he bore the sins of all mankind. The Lord displayed his infinite holiness and hatred of sin. Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm for, foreshadowing the crucifixion. And verse one is very familiar to us as the words that Jesus uttered on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Psalm, or verse 3 says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Arthur Pink is another author who published books on the attributes of God. And in response to this scene on the cross, he wrote, But blessed be his name. That which the holiness of God demanded, his grace provided in Christ Jesus our Lord. As I used to say every week um, when I taught the book, None Like Him, what is true of God is absolutely true of Jesus Christ. Jesus was able to be the perfect once and for all sacrifice because he too is perfectly and infinitely holy. I won't take the time now, but I encourage you to read Isaiah 11, which prophesies about the Messiah. Verse four says, with righteousness he shall. Verse 5 points out that righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. In Luke 1, when the angel visits Mary to tell her what will soon happen to her, he says in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In Mark 1, there was a man with an unclean spirit who cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. 
Even the demons acknowledge that Jesus is holy. In Acts 4, Peter and John refer to Jesus as a holy servant. Revelation 3.7 refers to Jesus as the holy one. So I think we would all agree that scripture clearly establishes the holiness of God the Father and Jesus the Son. We consider his perfect holiness, his goodness and righteousness, which, us, which leaves us feeling very unholy, impure. And we think, well, I certainly can't be that. I'm human. I'm plagued by a sin nature. And so we give up trying. We focus on traits that maybe we can hope to attain. Well, I can be more kind. I can be more loving. I can try to be more merciful and gracious. We resign ourselves to the fact that I can never be completely holy. However, there's a problem with that mindset. For you see, God makes it clear that we are called to be holy as he is. A bit of a tall order? Definitely. Impossible to achieve on our own? Absolutely. And yet we are commanded. Scripture does not present it as an option for believers. There is no verse, okay, for you few super Christians over here, you be holy. There's no verse that says, okay, kind of try to be morally excellent, but don't worry about it if you fall way short. We wish those verses were there. Peter makes it pretty clear in his first letter. In chapter 1, 14 through 16, he states, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. When he says, since it is written, he's referring back to Leviticus when God gave his law and told people to consecrate themselves and be holy. Arthur Pink writes that this is the prime way of honoring God, not with our eloquent expressions or our service to him, although I'm sure he would agree that that's very important. It's very important that we give verbal praise to the Lord and that we do acts of service for him. But we truly, truly bring glory to his name when we live like him. He commands us that to bring glory to his name. He also commands us to be holy that we may draw others to him, to reveal him to a world in desperate need. So how do we reconcile this? The challenge of being morally excellent and holy, even though we're sinful humans, with the command to be holy as he is. First, and I mentioned this earlier, we must remember that we are already positionally holy. Upon salvation, we were clothed in Jesus's righteousness. Jesus took our sin and its necessary penalty, and therefore in God's eyes, we are holy and pure and blameless. God's grace provided what his holiness demanded. But we're talking today about our practical holiness, how we conduct ourselves, the condition of our heart, our moral and spiritual state. As we grow closer to the Lord, learn more about him, rely more on his spirit to guide and direct us, we are becoming increasingly more holy. 
The starting place for this process is to realize that apart from the Lord and his spirit, we have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24 states, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Your sanctification, the process of becoming holy depends completely on him. We cannot produce our own holiness. We can only share his. And as he began a good work of grace in your hearts, you may be de depend on his faithfulness to complete it. Philippians 1.6 assures us that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It won't be perfected until then, but it is a progressive process. The theologian D.A. Carson stated that sanctification is grace-driven effort. On our own, we cannot just buckle up and try harder to make our way into holiness. Sanctification does not rely on us becoming more independent, but rather sanctification relies on us becoming more dependent, day by day, moment by moment. Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Holy Spirit, guard my tongue, change my attitude, soften my heart, give me your eyes constantly throughout the day. What made the ground holy where Moses stood? God's presence. What made the temple holy? God's presence. The same is true for you, dear friend. What will make you holy? God's presence. Are you walking enveloped in his presence? We always have access to it. So let's consider what guidelines the scripture gives us. Paul appeals to us in Romans 12, one through two, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And he exhorts, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Where our mind goes, our actions will follow. What we dwell on in our thoughts will dictate our attitude. The world's thinking is very different from ours. What the world values, prioritizes, believes. When we realize that we are being swayed by these ideals, we must catch ourselves, renew our mind into right thinking. And Paul tells us that is how we will be transformed into holiness. Do not allow your mind to carry you away from the path of moral excellence. At the end of chapter six in 2 Corinthians, Paul is instructing his readers to be separate from unbelievers. Um, and he quotes the Old Testament promise where God was challenging his people to be separate and then promised that if they did separate themselves, he would welcome them and be a father to them. Therefore, in chapter seven, verse one, it says, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And perfecting there means to complete, to accomplish, to do. When you realize the ways in which you are conforming to the world, 
confess those, be cleansed by the Lord and live in the healthy fear and reverence of God. John 17, 17 gives us very practical advice. Jesus in his priestly prayer requests of God regarding all of us, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. If we are not immersing ourselves in his truth, then our progressive holiness will be significantly stunted. It is absolutely essential to know what holiness looks like and how to grow in it. And we can only find that in the truth of scripture. Another way to grow in holiness, one less popular than relying on God and renewing our mind and reading scripture, is to receive his discipline. Hebrews 12 has much to say about the benefits of this. Verse six, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Verse 10 further clarifies stating that God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. And verse 11 explains that even though it may seem painful, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And yet, just as we see in a young child, we resist discipline. We may resent it. We certainly don't enjoy it. A.W. Tozer used this illustration of how God can impart his holiness to his children through discipline. If you put a piece of iron in a fire, the iron can learn to live with the fire by absorbing the fire and beginning to glow. If we live with a renewed mind and an eternal perspective, we will be willing to endure the fire of discipline or trials because it is more important that we glow for the Lord. A final point I will make on how to be holy as God is holy is to hate sin. Because God is holy, he hates all sin, all that is contrary to his perfect law. And we do too, right? As long as we add two very important words, I hate all sin of others. But the piercing question is, do we hate our own sin? Granted, hate is a strong word, but it's the appropriate one. If you're like me, then you may tend to regret your sin, minimize your sin, justify your sin, and dare I add that we may even secretly accept certain sins as that's just who I am. But as we grow in holiness, we should grieve our sin to a greater depth. Think about this. God's hatred of sin was to such a level as to put to death his beloved son. Is my hatred of my own sin to such a level that I am willing to put to death myself, my desires, my so-called rights? Just as Jesus' death was absolutely necessary in order for us to receive positional holiness, Death of self is absolutely essential in order to grow in progressive holiness. One way we can gauge the level to which we hate or grieve over our sin, and this might be a tough question to answer for us, how much of our prayer life is confession as compared to how much of our prayer life is making our requests known?
Um, I'm going to have Jenny put up a PowerPoint slide right now. My, my struggle in this talk was the time limit. A, a, a topic like holiness, I could have been here like all day talking to you and still not covered it. There's just so much scripture and it was so difficult to know what to pull out. But I have created a PowerPoint slide with a few additional verses. So if it would be helpful to you, feel free to snap a picture of it or write those down. So an in-depth discussion of holiness certainly can leave us feeling unholy, less than morally and spiritually excellent, so unclean, but I do not want us to stay there, nor does the Lord. In closing, let me encourage you with some verses. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Dear sister, the King of kings has chosen each of you from long ago to be holy before him. Let that fill you with joy and gratitude. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, meaning Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Jesus Christ presents you, sweet friend, holy and blameless. 2 Timothy 1.9, who, meaning God, saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Did you hear that? God's perfect purpose for you is a holy calling. Vince Lombardi, the great NFL football coach, used to tell his team, we will chase perfection and we will chase it relentlessly, knowing all the while we can never attain it. But along the way, we shall catch excellence. Dear friends, in this earthly, flesh-filled body, we will not be perfect. But if we pursue holiness relentlessly, we can achieve progressive holiness and continue to grow in that, all to bring glory to him who has called us to a holy calling and made us blameless before him. Pursue it not to earn God's love, but rather out of your love and gratitude for our Lord and Savior. Press on relentlessly because of his infinite love for you. Let me pray. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, we bow before you in worship. Forgive us for the times that we do not grieve over our sin. Forgive us for the times that we try to be holy on our own apart from your spirit. Oh Lord, Remind us daily that you have commanded us to be holy as you are. Strengthen us with your spirit. Embrace us with your presence and fill us with your love and peace. 
that we might be shining examples to a world in desperate need of holiness and love and grace and mercy. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for calling us to holiness. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that gives us our holiness in God's eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.